0: And we are live with our 82nd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter. joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi.
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome once again. We're at episode number 82. We're off and running. We're joined this week by Kelly Robinson. Um, Ken and I have been... uh, like every the the community is pretty active again this year. Uh, I just got back from AppSec California. Some really good talks um, on app, you know, on application security. Funny enough, right? Um, but uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, there there was a couple items that we wanted to to get into right off the bat. Um, first of all, was the uh, the recent podcast, and there is going to be a lot coming from actually Clint Glibler, Gibbler. Gibbler. I can't get his name right, apparently. Clint Gibbler this week, uh, his TLDR Sec newsletter came out uh, right before AppSec California, where he actually went through and summarized all of the talks from last year's AppSec California. He took the time to watch every single talk, so they have like four tracks, uh, everything from, you know, JWTs that Ken you know, are near and dear to Ken's heart, and um, to um, the the proxy stuff. Will Bankston, uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that's in there. But he actually went through and reviewed everything that happened last year, um, and gave like a nice TLDR of that conference in and of itself. It only took a year to get to it, but given the amount of content and the amount of work that was into that went into it, uh, it was it was a pretty impressive. Uh, it's a pretty impressive body of work and in general everything that's coming out from Clinton recently and huge shout out if he's listening um but everything that's been coming from him recently has been very very well researched well thought out and is of huge value if you're running a program in an organization um his talk at apps Kelly was an opinionated guide to scaling your company's security this was like a 40-minute talk that he gave and I think, uh, Ken, when I shared it with you, I can't remember. It's like something like 190 slides, right?
0: Yeah, 194, I think. I, I was blown away. Yeah.
1: yeah. And if you actually look at what he did in the talk itself, and the, the talk will be posted online uh, fairly you know, in, in due order. But what he did is most of those slides are actually reference material, right? Um, only about 60 or 70 of those slides did he actually present, but each of the 60 and 70 slides is, hey, if you're doing this in an organization, here are three talks that were really good that I've seen in the last four or five years that are actually related to that topic and will help you out. So it's like a, a meta talk about application security and you know producing an application security program. So that was one of the highlights that I had there. There was a lot of other stuff that went on um, and I feel like I'm talking too much. Um, Ken didn't come out because he's lazy. You know about AppSec like California, right, Ken?
0: <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm familiar.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> just just making sure.
0: Right <clears throat> it's probably um, a good thing I didn't. I'm fighting something, some sort of cold or flu or something. But anyways, yeah. Yeah. Be careful Seth, with that, right?
2: Yeah. Seth, I don't know if you actually knew this, but I was at AppSec at California speaking in the same exact slot as Clint. Oh, you were, <laughs> Kelly.
1: I, I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I think <laughs> I think we split the crowd pretty well. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew that the
1: others were, were pretty busy. So um, at AppSec Kelly, what were, you, what were you speaking on, Kelly?
2: I was speaking about Shaken and Stir.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah, then we're, we're going to get into that in a minute. Yeah, so we'll, we'll it's talk gonna, about so that. So that would be really interesting um, to compare and contrast. Uh, so, yeah, well, you're all over the place then. Right? You're at ShmooCon this week, right? You're headed that oh, direction, man. speaking on Shaken and Stir as well. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's everything that I've got off the top of my head outside of, I will be at B-Side San Francisco in a couple of weeks, um, doing a workshop on secure code review. Um, Ken, what about you? Are you, is there anything else you wanted to cover?
0: Uh, I'm just po- po- posting, um, Kelly's, uh, slides right now, the link to her slides from, um, Cali in the various channels. But did you mention Black Hat USA? I don't think we mentioned that. Oh
1: no, I didn't. That that happened right before. So that's it came out on Twitter. But um, Ken and I will be at Black Hat USA. Um, we'll be giving our Secure Code Review course. I'm pretty sure the name of this one is Next Level uh, Next Level Bug Hunting: colon, Code Edition. Right? We're gonna see if we can get some uh, black hatters interested in Secure Code Review.
0: Anyway. So, um, thready, make threat, threat, hunting <laughs> threats and <laughs> threats and stuff. Yeah. Threats and lead threats. Yeah. Lead exploits through. It a, is like a special <laughs> version of the, yeah. 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 I mean, it is a, it is a special revamped for black hat crowd, uh, version of the training, but it is ultimately about secure code review. Yeah. Um, but we had to make it sound really cool. So <laughs> with that thready stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, the thready stuff. <clears throat> yeah. So we will be at Black Hat USA. Um if you're interested in the course, please sign up. Uh it'll
0: be like Ken said, a special edition. Oh, and one other thing to mention is that we're going to be bring back the app Minute for um the Port Swigger because we did Port Swigger Top 10 2018. <clears throat> so now we're going to do that for the 2019. It's just we haven't gotten our crap together yet to do it.
1: Well, so. actually we'll if, you're, if you're interested in the Port Swigger uh top 10 uh the I think it's still open to vote on at least for the next couple of oh, days. Oh, it's not, right? Oh,
0: for some reason. Yeah, it's really not pleased. solidified okay. yet,
1: right? So if you if you go to we'll we'll find the link and post it. Um but it's always interesting. Like, I found it pretty interesting to actually go and review all of them like what was what was nominated as opposed to just the top 10. Um, so there's some other interesting ones that are in there that probably won't make the top 10, but are really relevant to, hey, I'm trying to protect my code base or I'm building an application. So um, I'd take a look at those if you if, if you can. So.
0: Yep, I am posting um, the link right now, by the way. Yeah, and I gave, I
1: just gave Ken a whole bunch of work because I made him post all the links and I'm the one that's just talking, <laughs> talking, talking. So, So Kelly, <laughs> let's talk to you. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for taking the time to come on. Yeah, thank um, you for having me. Especially between, you know, travel weeks. We both know how that goes. It's always, um, yeah, it, it can be fairly onerous, right? Just trying to make sure you're, you know, getting enough sleep, if anything.
2: <laughs> no kidding. Not
1: getting sick. <laughs> so, okay. So I talked about Opset Kelly a little bit. What did, I mean, what did you like about Opset Kelly? Before we get into introductions, just give me your take.
2: Yes. Totally. So this was my, my third time at the conference. Uh, Second, speaking was really cool. Uh, I I live in New York now, but I used to live in San Francisco. And so I was much more involved with that community and and getting to LA now is a bit more of a trick, but I still love that conference because who doesn't want to be in LA in January. Uh, I I mean, and and people that have never been, it is just like the most beautiful location, Uh, all of like the, the, in between talk time is you're just sitting next to a pool right next to the beach and the beautiful California weather, talking security with, with lots of very, very smart and interesting people. So uh, it's, it's always a really good time. I unfortunately couldn't make it for the first day this year. It conflicted with some of the stuff that we had going on with our filio company kickoff this year, but made it for uh, the first night, the conference party and day two of the talks. So had a really good awesome. time there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's always a, I mean, it's a good one. And where it's hosted by those three, is it three OWASP chapters? I mean, it's at least like San Francisco, LA, and what is it, Orange County? Uh, I can't remember which three. Yeah. Uh, And so they, 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 yeah, they put on the conference together. So it's not necessarily a national conference, like the global AppSec events. Um, but it is, it feels like it, given that, you know, the number of people there is typically what, about 600, I think, attendees. and Yeah, right four tracks,
2: beach. training, CTF. Yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of cool stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, or fortunately, I got sucked into the CTF this year with a couple other people. And so spent some more time doing that than I probably should have, right? But, you know, it's what a conference I mean, is about.
2: Did you have fun?
1: We did. We had a lot of fun. So, and I think it
2: was well worth your time.
1: It was. It was. It was a good time. I probably, I probably didn't go to an, enough talks because I was doing. that You know what I mean? Like you always have that trade off.
2: I mean, but the talks are always posted online after. Like they, they, I think they make for good talking points. But it's also meeting people at these conferences is sometimes the most interesting part.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does feel like a, a pretty good reunion. So. <laughs> Cool. Good.
2: Um, so um,
1: let's 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 run through intros really quick, right? Uh, Ken, do you have the script and everything in front of you there?
0: Uh, yes. Although I don't necessarily uh, need it because okay. Kelly is. I mean, she's <clears throat> all over the place, and as you can tell from our conversation, uh, she speaks a lot. Um, but Kelly's a security advocate at Twilio. Um is it so it's Twilio is it Twilio slash Authy?
2: So uh Twilio acquired Authy about five years ago. I specifically work on like the account security Authy side of Twilio's business. So that's why I sometimes mention that in uh professional related head headlines.
0: Ah. Yeah. <laughs> My well employer in your
2: background. Is Twilio <laughs> your
1: employer is Twilio, but you work on Authy because Authy is really cool. Yes, I get yeah. it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's not an easy thing to do, account security, which we are definitely gonna delve into. I have so many yeah. questions. I think it's probably honestly what you what you what you all do is probably one of the most interesting aspects to me of web application security. Um so yeah, there's a lot to cover. I'm excited about that. Um and what's uh what's really interesting, we're gonna ask you about your background, of course, but you you uh you spent a lot of time as a software engineer and then now you're doing security which is kind of that cool we've seen this before where it's you've got this like really strong fun fundamental sort of knowledge software engineering skill set and then you know end up migrating to security bringing i think multiple points of view views as well as uh like a broader range of experience versus someone who maybe just goes right into security so anyways um very awesome to have you. You have a great background. There's a lot of knowledge in your head. We're going to try and pick some of that out before we get to it though. Uh, Yeah. We want to hear a little bit about your backstory and how you ended up in security.
2: Yeah, totally. I, um, So I was in the first wave of actually um, programming boot camp graduates. And so I did a boot camp in the very beginning of 2013. Before that, I had been working in finance in New York and just didn't really see a future for myself there and uh, decided I was going to go learn some code so that I could start working in tech because tech sounded more interesting. I didn't know that I wanted to like specifically work in programming or software engineering or anything like that, but... And then I moved to San Francisco, learned how to code. And in 2013 in San Francisco, they were desperate for anyone that could smash the face against a keyboard. So I was very <laughs> lucky and got a, a job as a software engineer uh, after that experience. And yeah, I really liked it. And I did that for about five years. And then while I was... Uh, and I, I did a lot of like backend software engineering, uh, a lot of data engineering, and distributed systems. I was doing a lot of stuff with Scala, which is a whole minefield of a different discussion. But uh, a lot of the stuff that I was working on, um, I, you know, I, I kind of got interested in the, the sharing aspect of it and the teaching. And so uh, I started speaking at more conferences and started really enjoying that. And so when this opportunity opened at Twilio to join there. My my title is Developer Evangelist at Twilio. Um, They have a, a group of people like me who have a background in software engineering, Um, that help, you know, promote Twilio products uh, because Twilio products are for developers. Uh, So we have a suite of APIs that includes things like text messaging and phone calling and then all of the stuff for like account security. And so APIs specifically for two-factor authentication and and phone and email verification and that kind of thing. So any communication channel that you can use to do kind of like account security falls under uh, my team's purview. And so I was the first person that was hired there specifically to do kind of the program product specific advocacy and evangelism and so uh, you know my background was still all on the software side of things and then I had to really dive in and start learning about like what is all of this stuff and so this is really my first job where I've really uh, gone deep on the security side of things and I've been there for about two and a half years now and it's I think it's just so fascinating because you know I do have that background in, in software but I think, as, as you know, well, a lot of the security stuff is so much more about the human element. It's so much more about the organizational psychology behind all of this stuff. And I, I like that I still get to code and still get to do some of that work. But I, I love just like talking to people about their situations and kind of decoding what their, their threat models and their the practicality of any solution for them. And um the company has been really supportive of me getting out there and talking about you know general security concepts and it's been a really good time
0: so do you spend a decent amount of time like at because i mean obviously you're speaking at security conferences but do you also spend a decent amount of time at developer conferences and if so you know do you feel like there's a, a different vibe between the two types of conferences
2: absolutely especially for like my first year at the job, like no security conference was accepting my talks because they were like, who is this person? And I didn't really like know that much about security. Uh, and so I was speaking at a lot of like Python conferences and Scala conferences and general programming conferences. And there definitely is a different vibe there because some of the content that does well, it's those conferences. Like, I gave a talk that was basically like an introduction to public key cryptography at a Python conference, uh, you know, a couple years ago. And that not that there's not security folks that don't know those concepts, but I think it's much more common that at, like, a, a Python conference, some of the, like, you know, more basic introductory-level type concepts play well there. And I think they kind of have to tailor your content and to your audience and, and who might be interested in what.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's, like you mentioned, with the human element, that plays a part in, obviously, yeah. who you're... Um, Well, and and, and with security conferences,
2: obviously, like the application security conferences uh, that have a lot more people that are technical developers, but a lot of these conferences like Shmoocon or like, you know, the DEFCONs and even to some extent, like a lot of the B-side security conferences, you get so much variety of the types of talks there that you don't really like, it's not always focused on people that know how to code. Like you get a lot of people that are doing like sec ops or incident response of some kind. And like, these are much different uh, domains than the stuff that I know. Well,
1: yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, like, I mean, we we bemoan that fact, like locally here, right. That so I'm in Salt Lake city and there's like a, you know, in a lost chapter, there's a small app sec group. Um, But there there's a couple of kind of general security conferences that go on. And I remember giving an AppSec talk, like building an AppSec program at a, you know, at one of those security conferences. It got accepted. They're like, yeah, we want an AppSec track. And um, so I prepare this talk and I go in there and it's basically me and two guys, right? That's it. And this is a conference <laughs> of like 800 or so people. And I'm just oh, like, wow. um, well, I guess I'll give you my talk, right? But we may just have, we'll have a discussion because it was, uh, and and funny enough, one of them was Jason Chan from Netflix, who was oh. also there giving a talk, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, you don't really need this, but hey, let's talk about it. Yeah.
0: I don't know if you and I have talked about this much, but like being in AppSec and then going to regular, like just everything security conferences has like a strange, it's a strange feel. It's almost like, um, I almost feel like sometimes we're, we're part of security, but like not in a way i don't know how to explain it it just doesn't yeah. feel the same
2: well it doesn't and I, I think some of these um some of the talks that i give you know i, I try to balance the content for the, the biggest level of uh, like, um, like to, you know, define acronyms and not always dive into the, the technical details and i think what you were talking about what clint did is really good because like people don't go to conference talks to like learn how to like implement the nitty gritty details of anything. They go there to get ideas and be inspired and like look it up later. Um, but I think like, and some of the feedback that I got after my app set Kelly talk was like, I wanted more technical content in there. I wanted more like, you know, of the nitty gritty. And I think the application security audiences really, really like that.
1: Yeah. And I think that that goes to kind of the the audience like you're talking to, right? It It, it is super hard to please everyone that's going to be in your talk. Because you've got those people that, hey, they've been doing it for 10, 15 years, and they're like, oh, this is a different take on something that I've already done. And then you've got the beginners that are like, what does AppSec stand for, right? Like, yeah. and, <laughs> I mean, even at something like AppSec California, I mean, you're, you're better off going a little bit more technical at AppSec California or LocoMocoSec or some of those others. Um, but even at DEF CON, I'm constantly surprised at the questions that people will ask when they come up after, I'm like, okay, uh, right, like, I thought I, I had this audience, but I really didn't. And even polling yeah. doesn't seem to help, right? I, You know, it's, yeah, it, it's it's so difficult to predict, right? You know, yeah. and then, you know, yeah, if you're going, like, like Ken's saying, you're going to a Black Hat or a DEF CON, something like that, um, you've almost got to make it a different, like, we, we have to make, like, a different set of slides, and we have to use different language to be attractive to people in that audience whereas yeah. in an application security conference we're going to approach it approach it differently right
2: yeah yeah so yeah, i like that you're intentional about that
1: yeah so speaking at a lot of developer conferences right like uh, how how well was that received like like i personally i love going and like speaking at you know developer conferences just it feels like that's more of my people like my background mm-hmm. But, you know, tell me a little bit about that experience for you. Like, do you feel like it was positive? Was it there a lot of interest? At, you know, how did that go?
2: Yeah, totally. And I think especially the type of security that I work on is, like, very in your face it's something that a lot of people know about both as a consumer and as somebody that like probably builds websites with a username and password and login like two-factor authentication and like consumer identity management is not something that's super foreign to a lot of people and so i think in that sense i'm lucky because i get to have these kind of conversations with people um introduce some of the like the technical concepts to them that they might not be as familiar with but you're always going to have people that are opinionated about that and I think that makes for good conversation at a lot of these events. So mm-hmm.
0: very I've been- opinionated. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think every time we've ever given, I've ever given a course to developers and given training, like the majority of the questions end up, especially when we get to like password guidance. You know, like entropy and how to often to rotate and those types of things. It gets very like opinionated oh, and yeah. it's not something you can gloss over. You know, there's certain things you can kind of just, you know, five, 10 minutes, maybe at the most, probably five minutes spend, spend time on. That's not one of them. Every time we get to it, <clears throat> it's just that's gets beat to it. Expect a lot of questions. I feel like. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm sure it's cause
1: they get hit over the head, right? I mean, you think about being a developer and then compliance comes in and every organization they go to is like, oh, well, no, 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 it has to be at least 10 characters. And then you go to the next one. No, no, it's 12, but you don't need like the special character because it's 12 characters. And so there's that whole kind of discussion about complexity and storage and then rotation. And then we introduce in, well, you can't use MD5, right? Or, you know, to store past, yeah, to store the hashes and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. <clears throat> when we were, <clears throat> sorry, I'm sorry, both of you, I'm really struggling today voice wise, but when we were putting together talking points, you know, I was kind of bringing up like the password guidance requirements and like how that sort of changed and how the rotation periods have changed. But you, you had added something which I was kind of curious about is like, you you mentioned about enterprise MFA, uh, MFA versus consumer MFA, uh, multi-factor auth. And uh, yeah, like, Ooh, like, yeah, I was that's definitely that's curious that. to hear you expand on that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is like, this is something that we get into a lot and that I've thought of a lot, mostly because most people use Authy for consumer ID. Uh, this is, like, you know, Pinterest is one of our customers. And so, um, you know, if you add 2FA to Pinterest, you're using Authy for that. Uh, and this is much different than like, Twilio as a company, right? Like internally for Twilio as a company we use something different for like employee 2FA and employee identity management. Um, and I think there's different requirements for both of those, right? Mostly because like the 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 trust chain for employees, you can call IT and you can be like, "Hey, I got locked out of my computer. I lost my U key, like send me a new one." You can, you know, have some kind of chain of trust there that like if you have somebody that sends the YubiKey to the office address that's trusted that, that you know says this has to be signed for by the office manager the office manager knows your face even if you're not like in the headquarters of the company right. There's that kind of chain of trust that can happen so that you can get uh, like unlocked up your account. And I think one of the things that I think a lot about when it comes to like identity management. It's not just ease of use, but ease of account recovery, and it's just like a huge different uh, scope of a problem when you have consumer identity. Uh, so, like you know, be like if you get locked out of your Pinterest account, you like have to go talk to Pinterest, and then Pinterest like probably directs you to Authy, and so they. Then you're dealing with like different sorts of account security problems there because these are just like, you know, someone like me that's logging into your Pinterest account because you wanted to like browse it after work is a much different type of situation than me like needing to get into my work laptop. And like there's nobody on the Pinterest side of things that like, really knows who you are, right? Like you've got an email reset probably they probably have maybe a phone number on file for you. But other than that, like the identity trust chain there is just so much more fragmented and so much more untrusted.
0: Yeah. that's. Yeah, a, I mean, that, we struggle with the recovery. Yeah. like oh, there's, there's been internal conversations and it gets very, very cause we have this like internal discussion ongoing about, you know uh, about like, because Google does Google has an interesting approach and and they, they use all these different metrics to sort of verify you are who you are for account recovery. But like, that's incredibly difficult. I mean, Seth, have you ever thought about any of those, those things, those like, like how to verify that someone is who they say they are, you know?
1: Oh yeah. Like it, it, I mean, from your perspective or like most consumer facing products it's so difficult because you're basically you're you're identifying them based on like components that they gave you right like so it's not you're you're not going back to you know a carrier or a bank or somebody else like another trust source like Kelly's talking about as far as like an enterprise hey we know this office manager we know this manager we've got another mechanism to validate that person that's outside of the normal you know, email address, phone number, right? Because typically that's it. Um, I know there was like, there's been some like attempts to solve that at a larger scale by a couple of companies using things like phone data or, you know, other things. But I still think from a consumer perspective, that's very difficult, right? Unless you're the government and you can like pull up their, you know, ID, their actual like ID um, I, but I this is something else, else that some
2: though. companies that are really, like, security yeah. conscious about this are starting to do. They're starting to force you to, like, mail in a copy of your, like, government identification in yeah. order to do account recovery.
1: And that, that brings another whole host of issues, though,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. Along with,
1: you know, with, oh, oh, I'm, I'm giving you my government ID, so you're going to store that? Or you're going to just, like, I have to trust you as a company as well. Um Right. And how far do you trust Ken and his cohorts over there at GitHub? Because really those <laughs> guys are baby. All. <laughs> Microsoft. Gosh.
0: <laughs> I know. Really can't trust that Ken guy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and and then what are also, some of
0: the various factors that people use?
2: Yeah. Uh <clears throat> I mean I I mean I'm curious like, about like, that. E- email reset is still like the biggest one for account recovery. Um you know, using the second factor as a mechanism for account recovery, like, as a second factor, right? Like, you never want it to get to the point where, like, you can just, like, reset your entire account with that factor, uh, so you hopefully have access to the email and your 2FA. I think I, I was resetting my password on some website last week, and I think I tweeted about this, like, they, in order to reset my password, and this is something that I don't know when I last logged to it, whatever, uh, it specifically said the reset password will deactivate your two-factor authentication, and I am just like, no. <laughs> Ew,
1: yeah, <laughs> they make you read. Yeah, I, I have like, seen that, that
2: completely. Before. Like, ruins the point of it. And awful. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I, I don't know. Like, it was. I mean, I we we had, had a friend. It. Yeah, uh, we uh, Kevin Cody that's been on the podcast a few times, right? You know, for a while he had a a GitHub account that he he lost the, the the 2FA for, right? Like he got a new oh, yeah. phone, couldn't remember the password. And I'm pretty sure the only reason he was able to get it reset is because he knew uh, Ken and his cohorts, right? Like I just, because yeah, again, GitHub there was no, he's, they're like- GitHub
2: is one of the ones that like, they're like, you lost your backup keys. Sorry, like we told you. Yep,
1: sucks to be you. So So I I think like every time I'm
2: like, hey, y'all, y'all as uh, people who care about your uh, code on your accounts, uh, uh, that's something that you should probably write down.
0: Yeah, and by the way, I, I didn't
2: know more about this. But like, the, the I thought one of my friends ran into this recently, and I thought it was interesting the way that like you do account recovery, um, which like I think there is a way, at least for her, there was a way to like reclaim the account after some amount of time had passed.
0: Yes. So there's with so with Kevin Cody, um, it was six months. It was six months. This is why we were having those discussions about improving it because yeah, it was. He had to, he had to wait six months, and like I even I even reached out internally. I was like, I know I worked with him. He worked. We worked the same company. I know for a fact that's his that's his account, and that I'm talking to to Kevin Cody. And it still wasn't enough. So I mean, <laughs> obviously some improvements there. And honestly, what's kind of funny? Well, it worked. It's funny because it turned out well. But last week, um, so that was a consumer. Now internally, Jason White uh, at Misfire. Um, on Twitter, he's on our AppSec team and had been skiing and his phone lost in the snow. He ended up finding it, but deactivated and thought he was going to have to, you know, do the all the, the duo or whatever he was using all over again. And um, it was like, it was no joke. Me being the man in the middle, like talking to him on our personal channel, to our internal team to just get his account like it got to the point where i had to just like be on slack dms just relaying information back and forth between the two of them so it's just like it's it's such a it's such a i don't think people understand how difficult of a problem it is and i will say yeah. Neil from prodsec posts like stats every once in a while and it's surprising like um how what is considered a good metric for people using two factor off. Like for instance, if even with technical users, I consider GitHub users to be technical people, yeah. even at like 10% of uh, people enabling it. That's like a, that's like a good number. Like you're doing well. And that yeah. that is astonishing to me.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't Do you see the same thing?
2: Yeah, and I mean, like, I I do some work with like Twilio's identity team, and like we've rolled out some changes to Twilio's two factor authentication for logging into your Twilio accounts. And yeah, like the like I don't know them off the top of my head, uh, but the metrics that we have for that we're like shooting to aim to like get people to turn it on, it's 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 not that high.
0: Mm-hmm. It's crazy to me, and and like it's super super important. Um,
2: but I mean, password... I what you were saying about not being able to bypass the system, even for somebody that you knew is like, I think that's in, important because I think uh, a lot of companies and I don't really care what a company does. And as long as they're like intentional about it, like, uh, and have put some thought behind it. But so many companies basically allow their support teams to just disable two factor authentication on an account if somebody uh, calls in and is locked out. Uh and I think, you know, like that's a solution, right? Like, and that's a solution that hopefully that company decided was worth their time. The risk (laughs) getting yeah, worth worth the risk and worth getting people back into their accounts. Uh but you know, I just I just hope that people are intentional about that. Yeah.
1: Well that that's the one that the all the social social engineers love, right? Oh right. Yeah. All I need is the email address and maybe the employee ID. And then I call up and I say, Oh, I like lost my phone and I can't get in. Can you reset my password and, and disable my 2FA at the same time. Right.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. a company that I was working with that uh, did something incredibly egregious where they like, I had to, I had to call in to reset my 2FA based on like what they were using. Uh, They had to, you know, they had a key to something weird. And so when I got a new phone, Phone. like i had to call in to reset and in that process they changed my password and volunteered my username to me while i was on the phone with them and i was like come on people Wonderful.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know I, I, I don't know about youtube but like that's one of the biggest uh fears that i have when i upgrade a new phone is losing 2fa right yeah Yeah. because that's of my the number, number of one. tokens and- Like between like, oh crap, was that in Duo or Authy or, you know, Google Authenticator and all of a sudden I can't get into an account and I have to go through the reset process or I have to, you know, if I forget to disable it on one phone before I re-enable it on another, like it's a huge huge problem. And like, I don't feel like the industry in general or companies actually think about that, right? There are those that do, but a lot of them just, Oh, enable 2FA, right? Okay. What yeah. happens when that consumer changes their phone number,
2: right? Um, changes their phone number or for like the app based 2FA yeah. just gets a new phone. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's funny. Like, we always kind of budget for or expect higher uh, support tickets around the holidays when people get more phone or get new phones. Uh, uh-huh. So we expect people to be like right into Authy support around that time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I never thought about that. That's, yeah.
2: It that makes a
0: lot of sense. Yeah.
2: And there was. I also saw some interesting. Uh, like I got an email from. I can't remember the company, but. Um, maybe it's like Zapier or somebody like that emailed me right before the holidays being like, hey, like, by the way, remember to like log in and update your 2FA if you're getting a new phone. They basically like preempted that. And I thought that was an interesting thing that they were trying to like, you know, whatever, their decision of like the cost to send out these emails to every single person that has a Zapier account is less than like the support costs that we might get from uh, people that get locked out of their accounts.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly though, given that it's only what 10% or so of your users that even bother with 2FA, it's probably not, it probably yeah, wasn't, exactly. it wasn't, wasn't a huge deal. So, okay. so along those lines, right. What, what's your take on SMS 2FA versus app based versus the tokens?
2: I mean, I think especially in the, in the like consumer 2FA world, like SMS based 2FA is like fine for a lot of things. Um, It is an insecure medium, though. Like, you can easily, uh, especially with swapping, like, it's so easy to get into somebody else's uh, account. But, like, for so many of these things, what you want to do is just make it a little bit harder for people to attack you. Uh, And if somebody is super inclined to to fish you or to do some kind of targeted attack, it's probably, like you know, targeted attacks against you are probably going to be successful if the person has significant time and resources. Um, But I think, like, um, Google finally released some stats about this uh, last year uh, in May that actually backed this up. There was, like, SMS-based 2FA actually prevents 76% of, uh, like, kind of... uh, phishing attempts, automated phishing attempts. And so it's like a pretty high number that even like the lowest level of security um prevents. Mm-hmm. And so I just get annoyed when people are like blanket statements like SMS2FA is bad. Anybody that implements that on their website should be like murdered. And I'm like, come on, people, like there's a time and a place. Um and I think for a lot of these companies that have consumers that might be like older populations or people in other countries or people in, you know, some kind of situation that like they might not have access to a smartphone. Uh, you want to support that additional channel for the people that need it. But I think what companies can do is like you want to delight your security conscious consumers. And so add in additional more secure uh, channels like app based TOTP um, methods, and then allow the people that don't want that to turn off SMS to FA.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah, like, I totally agree, right? It's like a whole risk. I, I know I go through kind of a risk process with that, right? Like, what is it that I'm like, what am I accessing? Right? Is it my is it like code and intellectual property that people have access to? Or is it? Uh, you know, is it just some social media that I like log into, or I, I check like once every six months, right? Like, th- there's a ob- an obvious difference there. Um, the problem that I have going to security conferences is exactly what you're saying, right? People get up and they're like, "Well, we don't want to use SMS two FA," and I'm like, "Hold on, if I can get you know my mother-in-law to enable two FA via SMS, I am going to do that." Um, cause the second that I put an app on her phone, that means I have to support it through her upgrade process and she's going to be frustrated. Whereas SMS, like it's this whole like how much work is it going to take me versus, you know, actually having something that the, the company has thought through.
2: So. Well, and that's why so many companies love it is because the onboarding process is so straightforward. Like it doesn't require an additional app. It's already mm-hmm. like we talked about so hard to get people to turn on to FA that like, adding an additional process, like, I, again, like, I think you should delight your security conscious users. And I think that like, you should support it if you have the resources to, and you protecting things that people perceive to be of value, but you know, like it's for, you know, like your pizza accounts, like you probably don't need to FA on those. And if you do, yeah. you certainly don't need like super secure forms of it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then every, well, every more one, secure one, form of I that that say. you add, like, it, I was just going to say like the, the app-based 2FA, it ends up like it, it's going to cost you more for account recovery too. And so like, you know, again, like I'm super supportive of people adding this. Like, I think it's it's probably the, the way forward, but like until we get a mass uh, adoption of, you know, the Google authenticators and the authies on everybody's smartphone apps, we're probably going to see SMS 2FA around for a while.
1: Yeah.
0: Ken? Were Super say? interesting. And apologies, apologies about my connection. I think my connection is a little choppy today. But um, I was going to just mention this quote, which I thought was really interesting from that Google paper, which says, Our research Our research shows that simply adding a recovery phone number to your Google account can block up to 100% of automated bots, 99% of bulk phishing attacks, and 60, 66% of target attacks that occurred during our investigation, which was a year long joint study between a couple of different universities and, and them. So that was interesting. It's a pretty significant number oh, yeah. right? to, to quote.
2: I, I think a couple of paragraphs below that is the 76% number that I was quoting earlier. Like, I think that's yes, SMS based 2FA blocks 76% of targeted attacks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to argue with that, yeah. right? Like it really is um, at, a, at a very, and, and like you said, enrolling a phone number is a super cheap, easy way to actually enable 2FA for for a company as well, not just the <laughs> consumer, it's consumers themselves. So,
2: But I mean, I, like this is where like the threat modeling always comes in, right? Like you're based, you probably want people to add more secure forms of identity verification on their accounts because those targeted attacks have a lot more value behind them and so people are going to put resources into trying to get into your accounts especially if you've been tweeting about how many bitcoin you have
0: yeah 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 making yourself a target that's Classy. I'm posting a link, by the way, to your blog post that explains. We because we're we have about 13 minutes left, and we want to get to this stir, uh, stir and shake. Although I swear these an hour never feels long enough because there's actually, we could sit here and talk about this forever. Yeah. But I'm gonna post a link to your blog post where you explain stir and shaken. Um. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather hear it directly from you. Um. So that we we can learn a little bit about what exactly stir and shaken is.
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, So STERN, SHAKEN, uh, I'm actually going to have to look up the acronyms again because I always forget them. They're like egregious acronyms for uh, STERN, Secure Telephony Identity Revisited, and SHAKEN is you have this in front of you a chance
0: yeah <laughs> oh, i do it's signature-based uh, handling
2: of asserted information using tokens it's you know james <laughs> bond reference and they tried to one of my favorite things is there's like a proposal for something new that's lemon twist which is like <laughs> this a thing that's like leveraging models for enterprise dialing it, it's just like it, it's terrible um <laughs> But everything basic, has to have an acronym. Yes. Yeah. And, and an I icon. The branding, yeah. the branding of it is good, right? Like it's you know branding the, the CVEs and branding like the the exploits is one thing that like people remember. Heartbleed. Uh, every everything comes back to marketing. <laughs> but yes. basically, what this is is uh, the way I'd like to frame it is like, what if we had TLS for phone numbers? And so with all of these the problem with spam calling recently one of the reasons this is a problem is one like automated dialing is super cheap now and two like you can spoof any number and the way the telephony networks are set up now there's not really any security on that and so shaken specifically is what's going to do that signature based handling of saying that I know that this is a phone number that you own and I'm going to assert through the phone network as I hand this off to other carriers that this is a number that I know, that I know the person like that's behind this number and is going to be using public key infrastructure for all of that. So is that Uh,
0: like a um, is that an internationally is this is is this going to be like an international standard then?
2: I hope so, but right now it's being incredibly focused in the U.S. I mean, obviously the technology itself could be applied internationally, but the reason that we're having conversations about this is because this was actually mandated by the uh, Traced Act, uh, which is a U.S. law that was signed into law about four weeks ago. So this is all like very new stuff. And the Trist Act is saying like, hey, we're going to prosecute people that are doing spam calling, uh, specifically people that are using anything to like, defraud people. Uh, so uh, automated dialing, obviously, is not illegal because, you know, you have things like appointment reminders. You have things like, um, you know, come pick up your prescription or your sk- kid's school is closed. Like we can't like just rule that out. And unfortunately, we also can't rule uh, completely ban number spoofing because there are some legitimate ways that people are using that based on the way that the phone networks are set up. Uh, so they basically have this law that was actually the two thousand nine Truth and Caller ID law that was saying, "Hey, you can only use uh, spoofing if you're not trying to like defraud." Or harm someone. But it turned out that was really hard to actually enforce. And so shake and stir is one way that they're going to do that signature handling and signature like assertion on the the from number. And then also make it a lot easier to trace back calls to the originating uh, like dialer so that we can prosecute the bad actors more easily.
0: And I think that one of the links I had read said they were going to like give you a is this the right term? Like, it's sort of like giving you a risk rating. So like not just a hard, you know, you're bad or you're good. It's, it, it yeah. was, it seemed like there was maybe more to it so that they could kind of, like you totally. said, sort of that, you know, important stuff gets dropped.
2: Yeah. Uh, So part of like the, so this is all using like JWTs as part of the um, uh, signature that is being passed through uh, the initiation like headers. And so telephony has this thing called SIP, which is a session initiation protocol, which is a way to initiate void calls. Uh, And then it's kind of like an HTTP request. So you can basically like add some metadata and headers in the request when you, you start a call. And one of the headers for that that's being added as part of shaken is an identity header and in that header what we have is an attestation level and i think that's what you're referring to which is basically like there's three attestation levels that you can give even all of these three levels like none of these even the lowest one is like this is a spam caller don't trust this it's like some level of like saying i have some level of trust in this caller uh the attestation level a is saying like i know this consumer and i know that they have access to use this number uh, B is saying, I know the customer, but I don't know the number, maybe. And then attestation level C is like, I don't know the customer, but I know that, like, I originated this call. And so, like, there's different levels of this. And I think what we're going to be seeing is probably just for attestation level A. So I know this customer, and I know that they can use this number. We're going to see the device manufacturers, so, like, the Googles and the Apples, tightly uh, in cooperation with the main U.S. carriers, so Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, those folks, uh, they're going to start displaying some kind of, like, identity verification in a call when it's incoming. And so that could be, like, a green check mark. That could be something that says, like, call verified. Uh, That's kind of up to the device manufacturer and the carrier to decide how they want to display that. And unfortunately, right now, there's not a lot of uh, regulation or consistency around how that's going to be displayed or enforced
0: so is so then is the standard so is the standard still in draft sort of form and not so, necessarily all the implementation details figured out or is it more of like you know with web browsers how like chrome and safari and firefox all want to do things differently and so then it becomes more of that kind of an issue versus like
2: yeah like this it's the protocol like, itself Yes, yeah, So think of it like Shaken is in place. Like the, the draft is like finished. That's been published. There's an RFC for it. I think they're pretty sure about how that all is going to work. Um, and it's going to be exactly like the latter. Like think of like Apple and Google as Chrome and the Firefox in this case. Like they're going to have to do- how they want to display this kind of information to people, and so I imagine it will be something similar to what the URL bars have done, which is something like the lock in the URL bar for trusted things, and then something like the you know not secure in the URL bar display a full call or if they get uh, a call through their network that either hasn't been signed by Shaken or maybe has a lower attestation level. But I think right now that's up to them to decide how they want to do that.
0: I mean, is adoption occurring this year? Is it like mandated that it occurs this yeah, year? Yeah, so
2: part of the TRACE Act is mandating that adoption, that all of the major carriers uh, do this within 18 months, starting like December 30th when this bill is signed into law. Uh, so they have until like mid-2021. But I, I know at least like Comcast, Verizon, and AT&T all started working on this last year. I don't know exactly like what their level of... Um, ness is but the other problem is like there's over 4,000 service providers in the US and so they all have to do this like it's an infrastructure wide, like industry wide situation like if somebody is sending you a signature authenticated call and you don't have the way to like tap into the PKI to like you haven't like set yourself up to like validate their public key yet and, uh it's not going to do much for the person <laughs> on the other side of the call.
0: You know, one question I kind of have, because I'm sort of not like in, <laughs> I'm not super familiar with the world of, you know, telephone, tele tel, telephony based fraud. So, yeah. um, you know, I think of it in my head as more of an annoyance when I get these, these calls, but it's, I mean, clearly there's more egregious things happening than that. And, Um, I was just curious if you could share some of like what the types of fraud are, you know, what, what is this really aimed at type of. um,
2: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is um, like identity fraud. And so people calling you saying like, Hey, your social security number needs to be like refreshed or something like please call back and give (laughs) me your social security number. And there's a lot of like, you know, we've have aging populations that grew up in a time that, telephones were trusted. And so, uh, they're, you know, starting to, uh, be a set of very vulnerable victims. Uh, and the, the phishing attempts or the fishing attempts, I guess I should say voice phishing are getting more sophisticated. And so, um, you know, but that falls into more of like a targeted attack type of situation. But, you know, there's, there's so many of these people that are basically trying to get you to either give them a credit card or some piece of identity information that they can use to like spend a lot of your money.
0: Mm-hmm. So is there like a, sorry, I'm, I'm very interested in this one part. Is it like a it's almost like a deep fakes type deal for voice, like for, for scamming people. Like it sounds like somebody that they know for, for targeted attacks, for more sophisticated attacks or no.
2: Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, theoretically you could, that, but.
0: I know there's
1: the, the common one where, uh, you know, somebody calls up and is like grandma, grandma, right. Like, and like just uses basic social, basic social engineering skills as far as, Oh, I got like pulled over. I'm I need money. You know, that kind of thing, right? Taking mm-hmm. advantage of, you know, elderly people that'll that'll give information. They're like, Oh, Johnny, is this Johnny? You know what I mean? Because yeah. they you know, it's somebody that doesn't call and they oh. take advantage of that. So it's not necessarily their pre recorded script, that, although they, you know, they some of those dump to call centers and things like that.
2: Yeah. But
1: I know that's an extremely common one for targeting, you know, elderly individuals. So,
2: yeah, I've heard of others that are like targeting um, immigrant populations, so like even targeted like foreign language uh, uh, attacks. And then if you call back the number, it might be like, you know, they might have it set up to some kind of call center that uh, is doing some kind of like IRS type scan. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you have to, you, you owe money in taxes, must give us all your information in order to uh, do this. And so people are getting creative.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I always you love know, the, that. you got, got a virus. Virus one. Yeah. What yeah. were you
2: going
1: to say?
0: Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to, I'm going to, you keep talking. I'm going to post some, some that cracked me up about the, the guy who goes after scammers, like meaning goes after, like waste their time. Like it's hilarious. It's, it's oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the 419 yeah. eaters style yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that's i, I mean spam-
2: the- yes yeah, spam- james spam- Veitch,
1: Yeah, or there you Something go like that yeah yeah Hilarious. no the, the one that i was thinking about i always love that they call my, you know they, they call your phone and they're like oh you've got a virus on your computer and you're like really and you're calling me on my phone uh, you know <laughs> you realize the two aren't really tied together right <laughs> you know
2: but know. So you like, know that and I know that. Yeah, I know or, that.
1: But yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, I know this is gonna be successful against again my mother in law, yeah. right? Or somebody like that. I just yeah. you know. and then they call me up, they're like, Why we had somebody call, but and I'm like, No, do not call them back. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's a scam. Well, it's kind of a scam. Like, yeah. I've gotten like legitimate calls that have sounded like they're phishing attacks, right? Like, you know, Comcast calls you up and is like, there, you know, some person in like their inside sales department or whatever you call that that's like hey you can like re-up your contract with us and get a lower rate if you like do it on the phone with me and like I've called them back because I like wanted to like know if that was a phishing attempt and they were like no that was real (laughs) and it would have required me giving them like credit card information on the phone and all this stuff and I think part of what this type of legislation is trying to solve is like those use cases where you can like get a call from Comcast that says like check mark this is Comcast yeah uh, which you know that I super wouldn't answer it but
0: yeah exactly. well it's funny cuz <laughs>
1: that's just, not going
0: to help things
2: Yeah. Yeah. But like, the example of like, you know, it's like my delivery food order, like, I'm gonna probably answer that or, you know, my dentist's office trying to like call and confirm my appointment, like those types of things. There's plenty of those phone calls that come from unknown numbers that you actually do want to answer.
1: Yeah, I I mean, that's an issue that I've been having, like the, the recent like updates to iOS, you know, you've got the ability to basically say, hey, if I don't recognize this number, just send it straight to voicemail, right? Yeah. And like, I have issues with that because I'm like, okay, again, my dentist's office calling me back. That's not necessarily somebody that I have in my list anywhere. Right. Um, And so it's very difficult to be like, okay, I'm navigating a weird, this weird line that you're talking about as far as I get way too many calls because I know I've given out my number way too many times at conferences and online and everywhere that I get random stuff. Right. Right. You do
2: what I do and set up a Twilio number as a proxy to your personal number. Yeah, so there you I can
1: know. Twilio
2: number everywhere and yeah. post that whatever you want.
1: Yeah, that's what I need to do. Is just like convert this one over to Twilio and get a new personal one. That yeah, whatever. But it's fine. It's, it's fine. We're trying to solve it different ways. So yeah, but,
2: exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, well, Kelly, we've been going for over an hour. Uh, did we lose Ken? He's like frozen over there.
2: No, oh, no, we
1: didn't. There we yeah, go. I'm here. <laughs> He's there.
0: No, nah, I'm here. I'm just listening. i okay. being attentive.
1: But yeah, we have been going over an hour. We want to make sure that we're, you know, sensitive to everyone's well, I guess we haven't been going quite an hour. We started a little bit later, but um we do have about five minutes left um in the hour, you know, podcast time. Um is there anything that you wanted to bring up? I mean we've taken talking, and shake and stirred, we've talked some talked about, you know, two FA and SMS and auth and anything else that you would want to, you know bring up or you know just talk about quickly
2: yeah i mean i think one of the the slides that i like to include in all of my talks uh is from cormac Curley, who is this great security researcher who does a lot of stuff on passwords and he has this uh, quote in one of his papers is basically when we exaggerate all uh like all fears or all issues we just train users to ignore us and so this is you know like the the type of Uh, practicality and consideration that I like to preach is basically like you got to be reasonable with your people and don't do any of this fear mongering more than necessary. Obviously the world is a scary place and as people that work in Infosec Infosec were inundated with this every day but like you know the average user shouldn't be that afraid and we have to build solutions that will be practical for the majority of people.
1: Yeah and I I I would almost argue too right like you as a developer advocate or whatever else like your user base that you're talking to isn't necessarily only consumers right like yeah. we see we see this quite often internal to an organization the security team like everything's a fire and so at that point nothing is a fire to the the community that they're trying to yeah. serve because they you know the first couple that times they jumped on their horse they fixed it and then the next week it happened again right yeah it can't happen if you're getting a pager
2: duty alert about every single like roll bar incident in your system then nobody's going to want to start fixing your website
0: (laughs) yeah yep yeah yeah nobody's gonna be paying attention to those alerts that's for sure (laughs) i know from experience (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately
1: yeah and i don't know i like I, i always feel like that's one of the things that i try to like I, I mean, Cormac, he said it great there, but at the you know at the same time, when you're dealing with something like an automated tool set that's spitting out alerts to developers that are that are intended for developers, you've got to be very careful about how much of that actually adds to their workload, um, mm-hmm. because you do you do run into you know security fatigue. I don't, I don't know if a, a better way to put it than that uh, that they don't want to actually do anything. So yeah, yeah. Good call. So you will be at uh, on this week. Um, mm-hmm. If people or listeners wanted to interact with you, are there other places that you're going to be or other places you're, you're speaking? Um, yeah,
2: I'll also be at B-Sides SF. So Seth, we should meet up there. Um, yes, let's
1: do. Yeah,
2: Twilio is going to have uh, some people there as well. And then I'm going to be at Octane in San Francisco at the end of March. Uh, and then Twilio's conference in May, which is also okay. in San Francisco.
1: Cool. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll post some links to those to make sure that people are, are there as well as links to your Twitter account. Yeah. Right. Follow your research. And
2: Twitter, you know. Twitter is definitely the, the best way to reach me for, for better, or for worse, for bound sanity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think have oh, yeah. a uh, relationship with Twitter at this point. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. 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 I agree. Mm-hmm. More of a hate relationship right now. I'm so, <laughs> sure it'll go back. Let me, uh, yeah, post this. Cool. Okay. Got your Twitter handle up there.
1: Sweet. Well, we appreciate you coming on and you giving us you know an hour of your time to to talk through all the all the things, all the security things. Uh, good luck at at Schmookon with your talk out there this week, and uh, let's make sure and connect it besides SF. at B sides SF. The very least, we've got some app absolute appsec swag as far as like t shirts or oh uh, nice uh stickers and everything else that oh uh, excellent love, i just yeah, i just put an
2: order for, for some uh for some swag socks so we Ooh. can
1: trade sweet yeah that'd be awesome yeah, yeah, you have some I, authy ones i'd love some authy swag so
2: yeah yeah they're 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 twilio and authy branded
1: awesome
0: okay yeah actually i'm gonna send you an email because i am actually going to the post office uh this week to to send out some swag so i'm gonna send you uh yeah. A reminder.
2: Sounds good.
1: Sweet. Good deal. All right. Well, uh, Kelly, thanks for coming on. Thanks everybody for listening today. Yeah, um, Ken, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we?
0: No, just thank you for your time. It was very informative. And honestly, I had so many questions that, yeah, we could have gone for three hours. So this is really <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Very awesome. Thank you. Okay. See everybody next week. Thanks. Bye.